This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by Bronto Software, the leading email provider to the global internet retailer 1000. For more ideas on how to improve your marketing automation and to take your email to the next level, visit www.bronto.com resources. Many people think that having a niche or narrow audience can be easier than marketing to the masses. After all, your audience is already somewhat segmented, but oftentimes it can be more difficult. Enter a niche space that's crowded with competition and you better be on your game. Niche or not, if you're not able to connect with your target audience, you're going to run into trouble. Welcome to Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakowitz, and today we're going to talk about both email marketing and marketing to a niche audience. Now, join me for the conversation in studio today. I welcome to the show Nate Martin and Kyle Randall of Fort Trough. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. I'm going to try to direct questions, at least from a starting point, one to the other, so we're not all talking yeah. over ourselves, which we were all doing uh, before we went live here. I'm going to pose this over to you, to you, Nate. Why don't you give me a quick background about who Fortrough is, the company itself, products you guys sell, and then each of you tell me a little bit about your roles within the company. So um, what we do is we cater to the uh, LGBT market for uh, adult novelties. Um, obviously, there's a lot of competition there, but uh, we really, really uh, strive to have a relationship with the customer. We pride ourselves on taking really good research and making what the customer wants. Uh, usually when someone buys an adult novelty, it's a gag gift. It's a, oh, I'll get a couple uses out of this. But we really try to put it to the test and a lot of product testing to make sure that we have the best product out there. And how about your role in the company? I am the uh, vice president. I help kind of start the company. I started working in the basement of the owner's house back in 2003. And uh, we've now grown to a multi-million dollar uh, operation. And then how about your role in the company? So I'm one of our, uh, I guess you call me one of the marketing directors. I work for, I work with Nate mostly, uh, right under him. But uh, I do a lot of our email marketing. I do some sort of like market research. I also do a lot of the systems maintenance and work. Whenever we have some sort of like website maintenance or backup house, like order processing maintenance to do, I'm usually the person that gets called in to fix everything, find the person that fix it, and make sure everything is operating the way it should operate. So that's kind of one of those things you, when you work at a small business like we do, there's only about six of us in the office that are not in the warehouse and not in customer service. And so you just wear a whole bunch of different hats. So when I go in, I'll be working on an email the first half of the day, and then I'll be getting the warehouse second half of the day, making sure that the shipping levels are printing correctly. And then I'll be meeting with the owner, or our boss, talking about what products we should have offered you know, for the next quarter and the next year, things like that. So you kind of, we kind of all wear whatever hat we need to when we need to wear it. Do you guys have a physical storefront or are you strictly online? We are strictly online. We do have a couple remote locations that we sell to specialty shops, but we're very uh, infant stages of that at the moment. We also do, um, we do pop-up stores. So there are several different conventions and trade shows that we go to a year, maybe about a handful, like three or four. We were kind of known at these events to set up a pretty cool space where you can come in and walk in and meet us, look at the products. It's a little more intimate, a little more one-on-one than just the online store and just selling wholesale. So it's one of our, that's one of my favorite things we do is getting to be face-to-face with the customer. So I recently had a, a guest on the podcast who was on a topic of supply chain management. And I, I asked him on a, after parties at one of these conferences or trade shows, like how wild supply chain management after parties get on a scale of one to 10. And I got about a five-ish to six, right? As you, you might imagine. After parties for like one of these shows, what's at the scale of one to 10? Well, the, the event is a party. <laughs> so for us, it's work. But like one of the big things that we go to, whether it's a, uh, it's been going on for 40 years. It's in Chicago every Memorial Day weekend. It's a pageant for people in our community, in our niche. And um, so 
what they do is they have the pageant, they have like the big, they have all the parties all weekend long, and then during the day there's a vendor market, and we get one of the biggest spaces at that vendor market. So there's no after party; it, it's an enti- the whole thing is a party. <laughs> like while we're working, there are people coming in, you know, with drinks and like dressed up and like you know their gear, and they're like they're having a good time. Uh, so it's it's there is it's all a party. <laughs> yeah, it's all a party for us. It, I you know if you really want the real answer, it's you know Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but for us, we're usually just back at the bar. We go have a nice sit down dinner, and then we're back at the hotel bar, have a couple drinks, and we're in bed because we just put on such a huge production that we can't afford to party after these things. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's getting it getting up there with the truck, getting set up. It's it's not it's not a party for us usually. <laughs> so that's like me when I go to shows, uh, but that's mostly my age. Yeah, I'm just too tired at the end of the day. I mentioned that we're going to talk about email today. So you mentioned, Kyle, that you guys have you know a relatively small staff. Everyone's kind of wearing different mm-hmm. hats here. How many guys do you have dedicated to email? Ooh, well. You're looking one, at them. <laughs> one, two. <laughs> Basically, how it goes is I kind of control. So we're Bronto customers. I control our platform. I do the maintenance for it. I make sure everything's working. If there's an issue, I contact our account manager, Stephanie. I work to make sure it's everything's working correctly. Um, me and Nate work together to look at campaigns and design campaigns, and then we get approval for anything we do from a little higher up. So with email, it's really just between me and Nate. Okay, and you guys are doing the creative for that as well? Yes. Sometimes I'll get like our graphics department to give me some assets, like some you know blurbs or some images or some edits, some edits, things like that. But putting it together, managing it, looking at the data, analyzing how it did, that's, that's us. Very cool. Stephanie got a shout out here on the podcast too, so go Stephanie. We love you, Stephanie. (laughs) So you guys obviously market to a niche audience and it's a crowded space from a competition standpoint. You have from an email standpoint or just visual standpoint on the website, you have this mental stimulation because sex sells, we know that. Marketing tactics, whether you're B2B, B2C, types of products you sell, a lot of those marketing tactics, we're talking about this offline, best practices are kind of best practices and they'll follow the the industry and there's always gonna be kind of nuances to those. Do you guys find a lot of nuance with the way you market or do you find a lot of those best practices from say, like if you're selling matchbox cars or something, will kind of carry over to what you do? Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, at the ba- I think at the basic principle, it's the same thing from business to business. It's just how you dress it up. So our big success is, is well, a lot of it was curation. We offer quality. We, we, we promise the customer a certain you know level of product, but also we started by marketing to a customer who felt a little underserved and who were people were kind of afraid to market to when when we kind of came into being. So we were using the same tactics that, you know, you would sell, you would use to sell anything else, but it was geared to a very specific audience that had never seen anything like us before. And that's kind of where we took off. So we think we're a niche. We think, we're, oh, our customer is so different. Our customer is so, when someone outside gives us like a, a suggestion or something to what to do, we usually, oh, that's not our customer. That's not someone, that's not how our customer wants to be marketed to. But in actuality, they're really not that different. It's just the window dressing is a little different. So we've gotten a lot of great suggestions from people outside of our industry, especially here at Bronto, about what to do. And we're like, are you sure? I don't know. And then we try it like, wow, that that worked for our customer. Customer's a customer. Where we succeed, especially with adult novelties, you think, eh, you know, I, I, if it breaks, I, I'm not, I'm too embarrassed to ask to return it or something like that. We offer a bulletproof guarantee. We are complete white glove service from top to bottom, from the first time you come on our website, from the checkout to the follow up. We deliver faster than any of our competitors. I mean, we, we actually beat Amazon a couple of times um, in terms of delivery. And that's just the, something that, you know, as a consumer, they, they expect. I mean, those ex- expectations are getting harder 
to meet, but we deliver. And that's why we uh, keep having people come back. Do you guys experience any challenges that you face with marketing to a niche audience? Um, Does it create complexities for you? Yes, it does. Especially when you're dealing with a small business, like that's like us, you, the, the founder obviously had a passion for what he did. He had his, a passion for this community. It's a community that, you know, I'm in, I'm a part of my friends are in. So it's very personal and it can sometimes be difficult to separate that yourself from that. Cause you think, you know, best. So you want to trust, you see data and you see analytics that maybe don't agree with what your preconceived notions would be. And you have to separate yourself from that. Oh, wow. I was wrong. Oh, wow. I didn't realize this was going to happen. Cause you think you kind of know everything cause you're a part of it. So you're part of that niche. You're part of, you have a passion for what you do. So you kind of want to trust yourself more than you trust data. You kind of get a little data phobic, but if you just, you have to like separate yourself a little bit. That's kind of been difficult for people within our organization. Yeah, there's an, there's an old saying in radio that says, play what you want at home, play what they want at work, yeah. right? So it, it kind of hits that as well. And you know, that is a challenge because we were having a lot of conversations offline, so this is kind of unfair to the listeners, but you know, I used to do client consulting here and I'd be dealing with clients of all different shapes and sizes. And I, I would run into that same issue with you see this data point, you're like, that is not how it, it works. That's not how the, but I, I never argue with results. I, mean, I think it's a tough lesson for a lot of people to learn, especially if you're wearing you know, multiple hats or there's one or two people in marketing departments from the email side, which is pretty typical now these days. Um, so I, I think it's a great point you bring up. So in being a lifestyle business, obviously you like what you like and that sometimes influences decisions on you know, our content, our creativity. Sometimes it can be hard to look at things totally objectively when you're marketing to a niche audience that you're a part of. You wouldn't be in this niche business if you weren't a part of this niche or this market or this community. Like you, you have to have some sort of stake in it to, you know, be successful. And, you know, when you start, like when you have that entrepreneur spirit and you're like going against the grain and you're like doing things that people told you would never work and they work out, you get this sort of like, you, you got to where you are by trusting your gut and by doing things that were unusual or not tried out or not were things that maybe data suggested wouldn't work. So then you get to a certain point where like, okay, well now I need to start, I'm big enough. I need to start paying attention to all these different metrics, all these different things. I have to start thinking outside myself, you know, and also a part of that is also the culture kind of changes. So what worked 10 years ago doesn't work today. What works, what worked five years ago doesn't work today. What worked two years ago doesn't work today. So you have to kind of keep updating your, process of thought and look at things a little more objectively than say, if I was selling something that I had no stake in, then I was like, okay, it's cell phones. I don't, I don't, I used to sell cell phones. So I, I like cell phones. I'm not having any stake in it. I'm not part of the cell phone culture, but I could just objectively look at a cell phone and say, oh, this is better than this, this is better than that. This would sell better than that. But when I'm marketing something that I'm in a community for, and I'm like, I'm really invested in, it's kind of hard to be like, um, well, I, my personal taste is this, but this might sell better. This might connect with our customer better. And you kind of have to like juggle the two because you don't know what to trust. It's a good point. So let's dig into, let's dig into that as it relates to email marketing. So Nate, you've been there a long time. Kyle, how long have you been with the company? Uh, I've been with the company for about two years now. Okay. So two years. So you've been there long enough to see kind of changes. So then let's start with you and just kind of walk us through and then we'll, we'll get over to Kyle at the two year mark. You've been there a long time. Let's talk about the evolution of the email program. Like, were you doing email eight years ago? Was it a relatively new phenomenon for you? Yeah, it was actually the only thing that we had going for us. You know, we started out as a kind of a after party event. The owner just got a suggestion to say, hey, you should sell online. 
So we picked up a couple toys and had it up there, and it worked. But every week we would do an email blast. Where we started was on an old Lyra system, and this is back in like 2004. No content, no you know data protection, anything like that. But that's how we built the business, and we grew that thing. It was the most talked about thing for people in the community to say, oh my God, did you get the Fortraff email this week? Did you see what they saw? Did you see what they put out there? I got to have it. And it just got a very good word of mouth. And we just grew that list, grew that list, grew that list until Lyris went out, uh, you know, had their end of life. So that put us in an absolute panic. And we started searching for other avenues, uh, other providers. And just due to our content, we, we had a lot of door slams in our face. They just sure. wouldn't work with us. We found a company that was strictly for adult in our in our industry. And for a while, we had a good run. They, they were really good. But no no analytics, no anything. I could look and see the open rate, and that was about it. Talking with people, trying to get some other best practices, and working with this guy, he said, oh, you should do re- remarketing. Uh, you should send out to people that didn't open. Well, to do that was a behemoth of a task. I mean, it took three hours on an Excel spreadsheet, downloading the CSV for the for the customers that opened, you know, matching it back up um, to, to people that didn't open, and then resending that email. I mean, that took literally a day, half a day. It's amazing what you take for granted nowadays. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and this is why, you know, Bronto is such a great service. Is it's all, you know, point and click, and it's done. It takes three minutes to sort the list, and it's right back there. And it's a moneymaker. But it, it was just such a struggle to do that. You know, part of the other thing is uh, in the adult industry, for that service, uh, there's not a lot of protection. It's, it's kind of a lot of cowboys that know a little bit or know enough. And, you know, the server's in Romania and we're very vulnerable to, you know, attacks, getting customer information out there. And that's something, you know, with any retailer, we, we just will not tolerate. So once we kind of had that, we knew we had to move. And that's when we found you guys. Uh, how many years ago did you guys make that switch of going, hey, we have these basic analytics to we, we just need more than what we're currently getting? How many years ago did you kind of make that pivot? Sad to say, but it was only two years Is ago. Is that right? It was, yeah. We were, we were really, I kind of consider us the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, we've got this massive company, and we are just not data strong with, with these things. And uh, having somebody like Kyle come on board and say, you, you should be looking at this stuff. You know, why do you not have this? Why do you not have that? And then digging into it and seeing the successes that it brings us and the money that it brings us. Uh, it's just phenomenal. So let's shift over to Kyle here. So two years ago, you guys decide you want to make that switch. You bring Kyle on board. So let's talk about the email program two years ago from when you joined and the evolution over the past two years. What have you guys, what did you come in and look at and go, what what the heck's going on here? I got to be very honest. Before I worked at, Fortrop was my first online retail I ever worked for. I've worked in retail, obviously, for, you know, several years. But online retail was kind of new to me. And when I found out that, I came in and they were like, oh yeah, our email newsletter is like a big money driver. I thought that was crazy because I never, just, I never thought, I, I, I thought email marketing was like a thing yeah. that you did back in the 90s or early 2000s. Like I was like, really? That's still a thing? But then I kind of like started looking at my email inbox, all the unread emails. I was like, oh wow, I get all kinds of crazy deals and things like that. So first of all, I had to like react like myself and like, wow, I guess this is something that is legitimate. <laughs> I, need, I need to take this seriously. But when I came on, it was we were just sending out two newsletters a week through this adult, like this adult-oriented email service. Strictly product-driven. Strictly product-driven. Um, they were kind of like scrolls of just images and text, and I had to like I had to manually make them in an HTML editor, <laughs> and then like copy and paste it over into this ESP. They were yeah, they were really they were really long, a lot of like big photos, and that was it. That was all we did. We had like an automated like order confirmation 
email that went out and like a, a delivery kind of sort of confirmation Plain text email yeah that was that was it that's that all we really had bad. about a month after i joined nate went to a convention he met you guys he came back and said i think i, I people keep talking about cart abandonment cart recovery we need that we need cart recovery we need that's like the big thing that people got drilling in my head so i went out and i searched for you know the best of the best and i kind of came into contact with you guys <laughs> Very thankful. Like, I don't know. I should have bought a lottery ticket the day you guys said yes, because I just felt so lucky. I was like, wow, they'll work with us. It's amazing. I'm the one that said yes. So yeah. if you guys want to yeah. run me a check before <laughs> you leave, that's cool. Yeah. It is kind of a funny story because I um, we have a, a nondescript company name that is like, it's your name, like, and it's your email is like, it'd be Kyle at and this like company name that's not Fort Trough. But like when I first started, somebody in our in the IT department would made a boo-boo and it was kyle at forttrough.com. And so when I sent the email over to you guys and was like, hey, this is my company. I didn't say the company name yet because I wanted to like get in contact with somebody and say, by the way, before you go to the website, I want to be able to tell you, you know, who we are and give you like a little heads up. Didn't really work out that way. They just saw the forttrough.com on my on my email and they went straight there and they're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like really embarrassing. We just started May of last year, we signed our contract. It took about two months to get us up and running and we sent our first cart recovery email. And that was like a big thing for us. We had no automation before then. That was our first automated email campaign. And since then we've evolved it and mutated it into like something, a huge moneymaker. It does about it does about 500, 500 grand a year for us right now, which is massive for an email campaign. So cart recovery was your first automated message? Yes. I would say you guys are doing things a little bit backwards than a lot of retailers. <laughs> now, when retailers, I, I think cart abandonment five years ago was like one of these things kind of coming up and like some people are doing it. I'm still surprised that a lot of people don't have cart recovery emails, but that's one of the almost prerequisites for companies now if they want to be serious about their email marketing program. But usually there's like a welcome message or something going before the card abandonment. So I find it interesting that you guys jump right into the pool with card abandonment. Yeah. It's a good decision, but. Well, the welcome message was the second one. So that was our second automated campaign that we did. Okay. And that one kind of took a little while to finally find its legs. One of the things that we actually were able to test out with you guys is we, we got one of your applications, the coupon manager. And we had always been, we'll send out $10 coupon, we'll send out $20 coupon, like just static dollar amounts off. And we, we tried percents, we tried free gifts with purchase. We were able to take all of these different promotions and different types of discounts and types of like incentives to buy things and compare them with one another, which was something we couldn't do before we, we met you guys. So we were actually able to find out, wow, this like static blanket $10, $20 off doesn't really work, but if I give them a free gift of purchase, that converts. If I give them a, a small percent off, that converts like crazy. So, and it kind of incentivizes them to buy more stuff so they get more money off. So we were able to, one thing, the biggest thing that we got from you guys was we just had data. We finally had data to start making business decisions, both with our email and without. So after the more, and then after, I think it was like last November, we finally moved our, our weekly newsletters over to, over to uh, Bronto. And the first time we did that, we had a product that we were, it was kind of like, I won't say it was a throwaway product. It was just it a product. Was, we were, no, it was product. just a, kind of a lukewarm yeah, pedestrian like, oh, product. This, will, yeah. this might this might do well, whatever. It's it's not too exciting. We sent out that email and it was like, people had seen us for the first time again. The open rate was incredible. By the end of the day, we had, it's, I think it is still like, it's still, that email still makes money. Like I look at it every once in a while and it's still making money just because the deliverability was there. We, we didn't realize how bad we were until we moved over to your guys and we're like, wow, there's thousands and thousands of customers that just were in the muck. We weren't getting our emails anymore. We were getting sent to spam or bounce back. 
and that first email. Yeah, it was like the moon landing. We, we, we were so excited. We, we sat around, yeah, yeah, sat around our the TV. It was casting, and we looked at the you know the dashboard there and saw that all two hundred thousand of our emails were delivered. And immediately we saw the dollars start rolling in. We saw okay, well, hey, Gmail's not a problem. Oh my God, look at that open rate. And this was I think we sent it out over two hours. And as the day went on, it just progressed and progressed, and we were our minds were blown just by how effective this was because this was, you know, this was fire. This was a new technology that we've never seen. And we didn't know that we, we honestly, look, we knew we've had maybe some spam issues, obviously with our old ESP or maybe with our content. We didn't realize, we had no idea it was that bad. <laughs> that was really eye opening, And that was the moment we were like, wow, move everything to Bronto, move everything. We got to figure this out. We got to, we got to keep doing this. So Steph Curry might disagree with that, the moon landing yeah. <laughs> approach there. But I think that's the one thing where deliverability is the one thing that I think a lot of people or a lot of retailers will kind of overlook because they'll see, you'll see deliverability rate. And it's like, oh, we have a 99.9% .9 deliverability rate, but that does not mean you hit the inbox. It means it was accepted by the server, right? Yeah. So there's some competing things there. We've had these conversations before. And if you talk to other people in adult novelty products, there's kind of a two-edged sword there. It's one saying, well, we get fewer spam complaints because people know what they're signing up for. It's not one of these things you're not buying a list and things like that. It's it's not as graphic. So they're looking for that content. The other side is you do have that challenge with you're kind of up to the ISP threshold sure. if they want to hold you to any sort of standards there. So you kind of have this double-edged sword where I've got to believe you have probably pretty good engagement with the emails, but you have something out of your control a little bit. We, we do, and we, we've seen it. We stumbled. We had an issue uh, before we fully switched you guys with Gmail. Gmail had totally locked us out for about two months, and that was uh, luckily we survived it, but it hurt. And I, after that, it's where we decided to full force move everything to Bronto. With the double-edged sword concept, is yeah, people, our content is engaging. Even if we have you know a bad product launch or something like that, people still open the email. So I think that's kind of what saves us is as long as we stay fresh and we stay relevant and we keep the customer entertained, we're not going to run into that problem. We've, we've been down that road before to where we got hurt. We don't want to go back down it again. So we always try to keep it fresh and make sure that we're not treading on that line. And with you guys in particular, I know that, first of all, if I realize, if I notice that something isn't getting delivered or something is bouncing back, something like that, by the time I notice it, someone over here has noticed it too, and they, they're reaching out to me, which is great. Thank you. <laughs> like, I, I love the customer service and uh, the, the response time. One thing that we're able to do that we never were able to do before is the dynamic content. So we had one, we had an issue for a few months for one ISP in particular. They were bouncing back because of some, some profanity in our email and our text. So what I was able to do just for those people that I just segmented them off and I just did the, I just had to take out for a few months until we like got in their good graces again, the profanity. And that's something that A, we wouldn't have noticed in any other any other um, ESP. That's something that we wouldn't have been able to do. I would have to make an entirely separate email and send it out and like have to manually pick out the context that were on that ISP. So being able to like alter ourselves and dynamically move the goals. It feels like sometimes the goals are always shifting. Like, you know, Gmail's got a new rule. Google's got a new rule. Um, MSN has a new rule that they start looking at certain things and we're able to better acclimate ourselves and kind of go with the flow with things to get in people's inboxes. So question on the dynamic content front, what was the decision to segment those people out and change the verbiage versus just kind of changing the verbiage for everyone? We were very proud of who we are as a brand 
And this is where we kind of know where we came from, that we know our customer. They expect us to be that brand. They expect us to talk that way. They expect us to, to have the, the sort of content that we do. So we didn't feel comfortable doing it on a widespread kind of thing because I felt like it would it would be a little um, disingenuous to the brand. Yeah, it would. It would it would come off kind of obvious. And also we have product names that have some profanity in them. So there was like, there's no way around. If I suddenly started, <laughs> if you got an email that said the star, 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 this, and then you go to the website and that there's no stars there, that's obvious that there's something going on there. And we wanted to keep that as contained as possible. Yeah, it would look like we completely sold out and that would upset the community and our fans. So we, we did the man work to make sure that we did not disappoint. And like Kyle said, once we got back in their good graces, uh, we went right back to what we were doing before. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hopefully it, it hasn't been a problem since then. But on that on the verbiage kind of topic is sometimes we don't know our customers as well as we think we do. And we used a, um, a third-party software solution from you guys that like auto-generated subject lines for us. And the first time I used it, and I'll be honest, it spit out like the eight generated subject lines. And I looked and I was like, this is not gonna work. Our customers are not gonna like this. This is not us, this looks a little weird. But I gave it a shot, I tried it, and we tried it for about two months. And every single time we sent it out, we'd send out using the software and like, they worked. They were always at the top of the list. Ours were at the bottom and those were at the top. So it was one of those things where what works for everybody still works for us, even though we think we have like this special you know, unusual customer. So the old company I worked for, we'd be writing subject lines. And one of the drills we would go through is you write 10 subject lines and three of them have to be things you will never use because they're off brand or whatever. But you start stepping out of your comfort zone. And it's amazing how putting either some profanity in a message or, or doing something a little sarcastic gets the juices flowing. I would think for you guys, and I want to talk about subject lines. Maybe we'll just do that now before we get back to automated messages. I would think for you guys, your three would be more like, ooh, fluffy bunnies and stuff like that versus <laughs> you know the three I'm coming up with are probably everyday subject lines for you guys. So you guys have, and I'm signing up for your emails, your, their graphic, they're in your face. The subject lines are, like you said, they're very direct, which is great because it's brand voice. You already mentioned that. Does it change from a send time standpoint when you send your emails? Because you have, you know, some not suitable for work right. type emails in there. We've experimented with that. We've experimented with like your time of day, time of week, kind of preferred sending time. I mean, overall, no. I think the customer yeah. just knows to expect that email. And if they miss it, you know, if they're on the lunch break and they don't get it, they're going to look at it when they get home. We do see some customers open it up right away, but uh, the majority of our business happens later in the evening. So it's fine to sit there for a couple hours. Yeah, and I, I sometimes find that if I pick out, like I, I run a report and say, okay, today, what are the emails that got us the most revenue? I'll always see emails from like a month ago, two months ago. And they're not just like, oh, one sale. It's like three, four, five, six sales just from this email from last June, last July. It's kind of, I, I think that that kind of speaks to how our customers prize our emails. If that's the word. They kind of hold, they kind of always come back to them. They're engaging enough that I can look at this email and I want to look at it several times and I want to engage with it several times. This is the, it's like a, a greeting card that you keep coming back to and like, yay, it's, it's my entry point. It's my favorite thing, that kind of, that kind of thing. We have found that though, when it comes to discounts and offers, like our lap shopper campaign, when we do anything that's sort of like a percent off or we're giving out a coupon, we do find that it does better when you do the preferred sending time. So that's the one time we do use the preferred sending time is when we're sending out some sort of offer or some sort of coupon because that sometimes can get lost in the shuffle because they see, we, oh, I got my, my Fort Trough email. They're kind of surprised to see another one. They don't expect it. So we try to get them when they 
usually open up their Fort Trough email. So they'll have a Fort Trough email and then that offer right below it. Do you guys, when you get send offers, do you put offers in the subject line or do you leave it in the body of the email? We put it in the subject line so that they know that it's, so they know this is a different email. So they're used to getting our newsletters. They're used to getting the product centric stuff. If there's an offer, I make sure it's in the the header or the teaser because I need them to open it. And I want them to open it, I should say. <laughs> but uh, I don't need, I need that. <laughs> no, but- uh, Well, you might get judged on that. <laughs> yearly reviews or something. <laughs> They're, the open rates for those offers usually approach the 30 to 40% when I send them out. And because and they're also small, they're also usually smaller like segments or smaller lists than like our main big newsletter list. On average, our newsletters get between like 19 and 23. And if it's a really good email, we'll get like 25 to 28% open rate. I was just going to ask you if you're comfortable sharing typical open rates for like a bad Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Later out there. You mentioned lifecycle messages and different ones you guys have. Let's talk about the ones you have. You mentioned card abandonment, successful for you. I want to dig in just your strategy on that just for a minute. You mentioned a welcome message. Is it a single welcome message? Do you have a series you built out? Or? We have a series. We have a series. So, it took a while to get there. Yeah. We have a series now. <laughs> and the reason I want to go through these, and Kyle, you're the, you're the email marketer for the company in the room. So common challenge, retailers have one or two people dedicated to email. You wear multiple hats. You don't have enough time in your day to do everything you need to do. So I think it's important to talk about how you got to where you got to at the last two years with automating messages, finding time in your day. You built out a series, so you're talking about different creative and different automation. The automation's easy to set up, but you've got to build these messages out, which certainly take time. So how many messages in the welcome series? We currently have three. Okay. Um, we, have a, we have a welcoming special offer for the customer. It's followed a, a few days with an introduction to our brand email that we kind of came up with. I'm really proud of that email because it's we, we've never really had something like that before. It's been a while since I feel like we've connected to the customer in a way like, hey, this is us. We're, this is what we're about. This is what we're, this is what you can expect from us. This is what you can expect from our website, from our products. This is These are our values. And I think that's, it's not a big money maker. Like there's really no call to action to purchase sales. But I think just having that email is super important just to, just to build a rapport with the customer. Just say, hey, we're a store. We're here to you know sell you goods. But we're not here just to sell you goods. We're a brand. We're a community. We are something that we want. We want to connect with you and share with you, that sort of thing. So that's a really important email to me that I keep coming back to. And I keep looking at the open rate and I look at the click, the click through rate, which is pretty good. And then we have a third email that comes out it's like a, a, it's a few weeks down the line if they haven't made a first purchase. It's a separate offer after the first one kind of expires. And I just hope our customers aren't listening to this. So they're like, oh, I can game the system now. I'm going to probably change a few We're things. We're right after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think about it. But it, it's a way to say, hey, you still haven't bought anything yet. What can we do to get you to buy something? What can we get you to do to experience our brand? Because once we've got one, once we've got a customer and we give them something, they're usually a lifelong customer. We don't really have many issues with people like being disparaging about our brand. We, we've tried, we have great customer service. We have, I think we have fantastic product curation. I think that once you're in the door and once we've kind of got you hooked, you're you're a fan, you're you're gonna be a Fort Trough fan for a while. I think actually one thing that we've noticed is that that first kind of offer that when you sign up that we wanted that we used to kind of like get the customer, people are kind of using it to make kind of some big purchases. And that's great because we have several large we have several larger items that like it's different than if you just bought one little tiny thing. It's this is a big part of your life now. It's a big piece of furniture, it's a big, you know, product or things like that. So it's good to get that sort of like initial rapport, like the trust. It's a big purchase. So when they use that for that and they see that it's handled, you know, with, with care and professionally, they come back to to buy some little stuff. So we really connect with the customer 
on delivering the kind of service that they don't expect it from from anybody else. It's an adult toy store. But when they get it, they understand that we really care and we want a connection with the customer. And we're not just here to sell you stuff. Yes, we're here to sell you stuff, but we want you to know we're here for you and we will we'll deliver for you. We're there for them. We want to build a brand, build a relationship, and to have them keep coming back to us and feed into the community. So you have that second message going you said a couple of days after the first one? Hmm, like I think it's like two days. Okay. Do you guys send promotional messages to contacts in that two days span or do you leave them off? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Once you, once you sign up for us, you're getting our promotional emails. We wanna make we wanna get you we wanna indoctrinate you in the brand as quick as possible. Like we right. want you to see what we're about. We don't wanna hold anything back. And I'm assuming the welcome message, you have the incentive in there for signing up, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that one converts fairly well for you guys. Yes. yes. Uh, very well. And that's actually probably a big success story of 2018. Story, like, we have cer- internally, we have certain metrics that we're like, okay, this campaign needs to make, needs to hit this number by this year. This campaign needs to do this by this year. And we have like monthly and annual like goals that we, you know, set for ourselves. And we completely underestimated that welcome series. Once we started, we were like, oh, this will, this will do, you know, this amount of money in a month. And then it did, it did literally 15 times that amount of money in that month. Like the, it was a huge, huge, huge revenue, revenue maker. And I think at, at this point, it's almost out on par with our cart recovery. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I know the welcome messages always convert very well. Cart recovery is usually the best performing message mm-hmm. by far of anything you have there. So that's pretty impressive. You mentioned Coupon Manager. For those that don't know, Coupon Manager is really just unique promo codes appendant to the messages so that you don't you prevent the coupon sharing and that's in your welcome message correct yes so you're doing unique there let's ship back to card abandonment for a minute if we can so how many messages do you guys have sending we have well we have three but we have a uh, we have the first one we have the second one and then there's variations of the third one based on the customer interaction um what the how, what the cart t- subtotal was when's the last time they received it when the last time they clicked through open so we have I think we have like five or six variations of that third message with various attributes based on what the customer has done up until that point. It it depends on what they get. So that kind of took a while for us to get to. We had the one and then they're like, you need to have two. So we had two and then they're like, so why don't you in that third one, you start getting it a little more dynamic, a little more personal. And then, and that's the one that actually converts really well. Yeah. Like the first one converts obviously pretty well. It's the first one. And the second one is pretty good, but the third one was kind of on par with the, the first one. So first one, what time does that send? Is that sent within like an hour or two? Or is it a whole day? Two hours. Okay. It, yeah. Do you guys incentivize? And that one, no. no. Okay. A second message, I'm assuming maybe a day later? Uh, it's about a day and a half later. Okay. And it's if the car, if it kind of, we run several checks and they're in the workflow to make sure that they haven't purchased yet. There's their cart's still abandoned. They're still, they're, they're still interested in these items. We send the second one. It's just, this is a, it's a different formatted email. We use a different little image. We use things like that. We changed up a little, but it's essentially just a reminder of the first one. Okay. And the third one, you said you have different variables in there. The variables are more content driven, right? Do you change the value prop in that message at all? Or is it just kind of verbiage and content? Verbiage, content, and sometimes there is incentive depending on the criteria where the customer is coming from. That's kind of the struggle. It's one of the things that we worried about when we first started doing this. Is like if we start, if we do this workflow, and we have there's a point in this workflow where there's incentive to there's an incentive to convert. We were worried that what if our customers like waiting for it? Yeah, what I do. And we, we don't, it, <laughs> That's what customers do. They know it. They know the tricks. Yeah, well, from a business, we have to kind of worry about that. But we brought that concern here. We talked. We talked to several people here about. They're like, trust us. It's as long as you change it up and kind of keep the customer on their toes. Just make sure that you've got 
different journeys and it, it makes it feel more personal. That's the one thing we're really striving towards right now is making each email personal to the guest. And we find that once the, the more personal and the more the, the customer can, or contact can see that this email was designed specifically for me, the better that it converts. And we're, and we're trying to get better at that now. All right, two more questions on card abandonment. One, do you guys change any of the content in the last message based on cart totals or? Yes, yes. yeah, yeah, depending on what, right, yeah. So if we got a kind of a big fish customer, we will really push to make sure that, hey, just just finish the cart and this is what we're gonna offer you. So there's a lot of uh, incentive and in, in that in that stuff, but again, it totally depends on their journey. But obviously if it's a, you know, if there's money on the table, we're trying to get it. And have you guys had conversations around adding a fourth or subsequent message? Uh, we have actually not. By the time the customer journey through cart recovery is over, it lasts about, I think it lasts about 10 days. Okay. At that point, there's technical limitations there because at that point, our, uh, our front of house uh, storefront needs to time out or retire the cart because okay. we have to like clear the carts for inventory purposes, for um, website load purposes, things like that. So there's some technical limitations going beyond that. If we, if we really wanted to, if we, if we thought if we, we could try this out, we could add a fourth and fifth and see where that goes and maybe kind of shorten the distance in those like second and third messages. Yeah. But I'm kind of happy right now. I hesitate to say this because I like knock on wood, like, I'm going to go home and it's like, no, cart recovery is crashing or whatever. But because <laughs> I said that I'm happy with it. But I'm, actually, I'm pretty, I'm really proud of the work we've done so far and the results that we've seen. And it it wasn't just, oh, let's do this and we saw results. Oh, let's do this. We saw results. It took a lot of testing and a lot of alterations and a lot of really deep placing myself in the customer's footprints as they go through this shoes as they go through this journey and what would entice me more what would i like to see what's not going to annoy me also that's kind of a big thing i don't want to feel like i'm spamming the customer and another thing too just a great little holiday tip that melanie gave us was you know speeding up maybe not adding a fourth message but changing their cart recovery time to get them quicker, especially on holiday. Yeah, yeah. So that was a that was a great tip that she she gave us. And just to clarify, Melanie is our strategist. Melanie, give them yeah. a shout out. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. Listen. We love who we work with. We just yeah. want to make sure they get they get all the credit. <laughs> you guys have you mentioned never purchase messaging for new signups earlier. Any other lifecycle messages that you guys have implemented? So we do have like a, a lap shopper, like a if you haven't purchased with us after a certain amount of time, we're like, hey, come back and and check us out. And then there's this there's a workflow for that. Just it, it's over the course of several weeks, months, things like that. One thing that we're trying to work on is once the customer is outside that window, because on average, we, people, our customers seems to purchase from us at least on average like twice a year, uh, which, you know, we're, not, we're selling luxury goods, we're selling toys, we're selling things that, you know, you don't need to continually purchase. So that's that's pretty good. We want, we want it to be more, obviously. But we're kind of trying to figure out after that, like that lap shopper campaign ends and where where's that customer now? How do I get them back now? So what we're trying to, we're doing now is I think we're doing quarterly outreach to certain customers who haven't shopped with us. They maybe shopped with us nine, 12 months ago, but for some reason they haven't shopped with us since then. And we're trying to figure out why. We're trying to they incentivize the them. They look at it. Yeah. We know they're there, but they're just not converting. We, we're, we're Right now, that's kind of our, one of the things we're currently working on is getting those customers that nine plus, 12 plus months not shopping with us. How do, how do we get their, their feet back in the store? How do we get them to come to the, to the store? Because we're always making changes. I know we just actually, in the past few weeks, we completely redesigned our website and launched that. And that's trying to get people who maybe expect one thing and like, oh, that's Fort Shop, that's what it looks like. Getting the, give us a fresh set of eyes is, an, is a big deal. 
You said your average customer, and, and this is every company is going to have this number, right? Yeah. Uh, whether mm -hmm. it's 1.7 times a year, 2.4, that's your average customer. So the goal is always to get to, to round up to the next yeah. number, right? And then you said, you know, if you can get them coming back, they'll, they'll tend to be loyalists for you. So piggybacking off that, and you said you're looking at some data points now and say, hey, how come they haven't come back in nine months? I think the one thing to look at there is, let's pick 1.7, only because it's a number on the top of my head. You guys will know why later. 1.7 times a year. If they purchased one time, they haven't gotten to the point of being an average customer yet, and they haven't come back. It's one of those things where you know, you have the opportunity to, to figure out, talk about post-purchase and things like that, but to have some sort of check-in as opposed to like a full-fledged post-purchase here and say, all right, we know a customer at 50% of our email database who have made purchases have only purchased from us one time. To have some sort of check-in, I don't know, a month after the first purchase, just to say, hey, you know, it's been one month since your very first purchase with us. We just want to check in and see how things are going. Contact us. Don't forget, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, whatever it might be. A lot of times what I've found is you'll get someone who gets an average experience or something is broken in the experience, but it's not bad enough where they want to call and complain. They just kind of remove you from immediate consideration for the next purchase. But they still might be interested in your brand because you haven't destroyed anything with them. And that might be why they're opening and clicking emails, yeah. but they're looking for something to pull them back in. And I, I found sending, you know, small, simple messages like that can spur someone to call and be like, oh, you know what I did or email and say, you know what, this happened to me. And that gives your customer service a chance to kind of win them back. So not saying you should do that, but yeah. if you're, yeah, if we, you're we, finding, we I think we're a little quick on the trigger. We do do something like that, but okay. it's literally like three days after you, get your, your, your purchase. So I think, which is not a bad thing. Right. It's not, but I, I think you're right to where we get these people. They're only buying 1.7 times a year to just have a little, you know, interim from going like, Hey, was everything okay? Yeah, it was great. Whatever. I'm busy playing with it to having that big lull. And they're not looking at our emails or they're looking at our emails, but they're not coming back to take a purchase. And then they finally get the welcome back series that we, we call it um, to try to get them. And they're just not looking at it. I think that's a great to, to check in before they hit that milestone. And one of the things, you mentioned the email that we send out, you know, that's like three days after delivery. One thing that we've actually, we use that email for a lot. A, yes, people who have issues who are like, maybe, you know what, now that you're emailing me, yes, I am having an issue. Can you please take care of this? Or I need help with this and things like that. But another thing we do with that email is we get a lot of, we get a lot of testimonials from that. People write in like ecstatic about their purchase, happy. We have a special section of our newsletters where we feature those those testimonials, and that's a big deal. And that's actually the number one place where we get those excited customer testimonials. So I think reaching out to them, if you want, if you're fish, almost if you're fishing for compliments, there, it's a that's, that's actually a great way to get them as long as you're offering the quality product and you're and you're you're doing what the customer wants. But we get so many just ecstatic replies to that email, just like thank you so much, you know, you guys are awesome, you know, yada yada yada, and it, it, we love it. That's that's. It, that, without that email, we wouldn't have that sort of right. connection. And that's with something customer. that we share in our management meeting every week. Uh, our customer service manager brings them up, and we read them out loud. I mean, it's why we why we do what we do. Does the welcome back campaign does that have like a Mr. Cotter theme to it or no? No. <laughs> I call it a "We Miss You" campaign. Yeah. Like, we miss you. Come back. <laughs> a couple more questions before we get the fun, some fun stuff here. What are the, you have meetings every week? What are the most important KPIs that you guys look at internally? For right now, just where we're at is it's traffic's number one, okay. obviously. Two is just product sales. You know what, what's working. Uh, we do try to launch uh, eight new products every month to keep the. I mean, our customer is insatiable. We have absolute Fort Trough fanatics that 
buy everything that we have. We have a guy that has our uh, has yeah. is like a ta- he has our logo tattooed on him. We met him. It's like yeah. so cool to see. Like wow, so you're oh wow. It only said we're a niche little underground type thing where you wouldn't know it, but someone to tattoo that on their body for life. Wow, what a conflict. That's intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have it, it's product, it, it's traffic, it, it's open rates, it's uh, email performance for our, our newsletter. That's kind of the one metric our, you know, the owners fixated on is how well did each one do? I mean, we've had email blasts uh, that have linked, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, you know, to where other ones have only linked four. And we, we look at those numbers and go, okay, what happened? They opened, they didn't click. Was it the price point of the product? Was it just a bad product that, you know, the, the customer wasn't interested in? Are we barking up the wrong tree with offering them uh, something that they just don't want? We're at the point now where we, we were so used to having this, these single data points, these single metrics that we could look at. Oh, we're looking at revenue from an email. And that's all, that's measure success for that email. Now we're in a world where all the data is kind of like three-dimensional. You have to look at the revenue with the open rate, with the click rate, who got it, what did they click on. You, we can pull up the heat map and see which photos, which links were you know the most popular, things like that. And so you, we don't really live in a world anymore that we can just say, yep, the email was successful. It made X amount of dollars. We have to be like, okay, so what was what was the average cart or was the average cart value from this email? What was the open rate? Okay, they opened, they clicked, but they didn't buy, or they opened, they didn't click, and they but the people who did click, you know, converted really well. What what worked, what didn't? And it's not just, well, this worked, let's do it again. You know, it, you have to really, really dive deep and figure out what you're doing now. <laughs> the days of just being like, yay, thumbs up. That's, yeah. that's not a, that's not good enough. It's not good enough anymore. And you can drown really in all this data. And that, that's the kind of a problem that we have as a small business is we've never had access to these numbers before. And now we have too many numbers and we will totally just bark up the wrong tree trying to find, oh, well, we think this is it. And we could be totally wrong. I think that's pretty common yeah. for a lot of retailers. I mean, we're dead overload, right? You talk yeah. about big data. I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's just big. So. <laughs> I have a question for you, Kyle. You came on the email marketing two years ago with a company you didn't have an email marketing background, which I think is pretty common for most email marketers. You have a lot, I, I think for a small team, you guys have a lot of things implemented and you have a lot of things planned. Uh, I think you guys are doing a lot of things really well and probably faster than a lot of other companies. Where are you learning best practices from and, and where are you getting ideas to say, hey, let's do this. I mean, I'm sure you're talking to people when you go to conventions about what they're doing yeah. and things like that, but where are you learning these things from? Oh, wow. So A, you know, the first, one of the first things I did when I found out that I was gonna be working with email marketing is I went and I just signed up for as many brands as I could. Brands I liked, brands I didn't like, brands I knew did really well, brands that I knew probably didn't do very well. And, you know, we have some of our competitors, even some knock better, some, People, I get emails, I'm like, wow, this is not very good, but I'm still learning. I'm still seeing what I can, I'm just gleaning as much information as I can. There's a lot of resources within within you guys that have been really helpful, a lot of webinars, a lot of, you know, talking with Stephanie, talking with Melanie, even talking with you today, like you're giving us ideas. Yeah, so we uh, we, we pick up a lot. And, um, really, it's just numbers. I just look at numbers, I look at what works, I look at what our customers seem to like. Also meeting the customer face to face and talking to them and just seeing, and that's more, it's not, I want a lot of automation, a lot of like the technical things, maybe not so, but from creative layout and subject line wise, just talking with the customer and seeing what they like and what they don't like is a big thing. Um, that's why this face to face time that we get at these conventions is so, so invaluable. I'll tell you what, so few retailers do that. I used to do that way back when, but I would call customers on a monthly basis and hey, what do you want? What, what didn't hit your expectations? What's better? What do you want to see coming up? And I think so few retailers actually 
take the time to call customers or to meet with them face to face or ask them questions about that. I think it's so great that you guys are doing that. Yeah, I think we're in a we're kind of in a unique spot with that because it's not it's different than if I just sent you a survey email or a call or cold call to hey, what do you think of Fort Trough? When we're at these conventions and trade shows, we're at a we're we're within our element, we're within an environment that's very accepting of us and that people are very happy to be there. It's their vacation, it's their it's their party, it's their whatever. So they're a they they might be a little more um, liberal with what they say to well, you. I was gonna say, plus they have drinks in their hand yeah, too, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a camaraderie there that we can, that just us being there kind of creates with our customer that they can talk with us and they get to see that, oh, wow, you guys really care about this. You know, you guys are really, you know, knowledgeable. And I get to say, I get to look at our customers and be like, hey, this is what you're like, this is what you like. Uh, what can we do better? And it's not just, it's not this like focus group kind of situation. It's this one on one just conversation like, you know, we're becoming fr we're we're getting we're becoming pseudo friends here. We're, we're I'm able to like have a very casual conversation with my customers in a way that some businesses may not always have the opportunity to. I think that the closest comparison, the closest thing that I can see in a in a business an industry outside of ours is going to these like street fairs or going to like college campuses or going to going to functions, festivals, things like that where you where you think you've got a stake where you, people you you're gonna meet people that really are into your brand. Even if they don't know about you, even if you're new, just getting on the ground and like speaking face to face with somebody that could be or is a customer is in a way that's just not stilted, in a way that's not like that structured phone call, that structured survey, focus group, whatever, is very, very important. Right. It's not letting them know that we're, we're, it's not a transactional relationship. We, we're there supporting the community. We want to hear what they have to tell us. And you know, we're open to feedback. We really take our customer feedback incredibly seriously. Like I said, and the, that's our top meeting point every week in our management meeting is what are the customers saying and just to have that avenue to talk to them to say oh hey you know what you send me too many emails well we take that to heart because you know for every person that's saying something there's 10 that aren't saying sure. anything that's awesome that's such a great answer so i appreciate the detail and the, the thoughtfulness behind it. that's a great answer last question before we navigate to some fun stuff here what's your biggest challenge when it comes to email marketing Whew. Whew. <laughs> oh, so for, for us email is our bread and butter there's no doubt about it. If we do not perform at that level, we don't have a business. It's what built the business and it what keeps the business going right now. We cannot have traditional uh, advertising avenues like AdWords or Facebook or Instagram. It, it's just too dangerous for us because we could lose everything. So we really have, uh, I think our biggest challenge is just content and keeping things fresh for, for this customer, for this lifestyle brand. It's go, go, go. It is, it is fashion. And if something is passe, they'll, they won't open. They won't, you know, they let us know real quick if it's not going to fly. I think it, it, it goes back to, you know, what I was saying earlier about like, we think we know what our customer wants and we want to do what we want to do. And we want, I consider myself a customer. So I, you know, I think in turn, like, what do I like? And sometimes when it comes to email, when you're looking at what images you want to use, what the product layout wants to use, what subject lines, things like that, it's really hard to get out of that mode, especially if you've been, if you've been in it for even two years, even 10 years, 15 years you have this sort of like, oh, I know I have the taste level. I know what the customer wants. I can look at this and I can say this is good or bad when you really can't anymore because <laughs> our customer base has grown so big. It's, it comes back, my biggest challenge with email, and I know throughout our company, our biggest challenge with email is just figuring out the best way to communicate with our customer just at all. I think just figuring out the layout, figuring out the images, figuring out what speaks to our customer the best versus what we think will speak to the customer best. So it's hard, we have to start looking at things more objectively and subjectively. And 
that is kind of where we're at. Because we, again, we, we started this business as this like small, close-knit group of people who were just selling to their friends. We're selling to people just like them. And we're still selling to those people. We're still selling. Our customer base has obviously grown as, as the culture moves on and we get more accepting. We become a little more out there. We might not know what our customer likes as much as we used to. So coming to terms with that in email is is huge. Right, especially when you have the history built on it. It is just, you know, like you said, we think we know best because it's what brought us to the dance. Well, the landscape has totally changed and it's getting harder and harder to fight for that real estate in the inbox. So it's the constant challenge. It's cool. Well, hopefully you guys solve that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's something we're all, we're all about learning. Yeah, we cannot rest on our laurels on that at all. You never can. I mean, it moves so quickly, right? And by the time you guys get it, it's on to the next. What worked two years ago when I started just doesn't work anymore, yeah. flat out. And you just have to keep evolving, keep changing. You have to keep looking at the landscape and say, okay, where are we at now? And it's like, a, it's, it's a daily thing you have to do. You have to keep, you have to submerge yourself and not just, you know, what's popular in your culture and your niche, but also just what's happening in e-commerce. So we tend, we're like, oh, we sell adult toys. We sell things like that. People aren't going to Amazon and buying that kind of stuff. I'm sure they are, but like, we don't think as Amazon as a competitor, but we really should because it's kind of, A, it's set the standard for online retail. It's set the standard. It's the go-to, just what everybody expects. But also it's just, we're competing for the same dollar. <laughs> so it's, we're, we're now starting to realize, oh, we're not just competing with our direct customers, that are, our direct competitors, sorry. We're not just competing with our direct competitors that sell the same things that we do are similar things. We're competing with other luxury items. We're competing with movies. We're competing with vacations. We're competing with these other like pleasure items, these luxury items that, you know, Weird. take the customer's dollar. You don't dollar. need this stuff. So, you have to want this stuff. So we have to like start going, okay, how do we fit in their lifestyle now? How do I make our brand something that they're going to want to spend their money on versus a new phone, a new computer, a new, you know, a new movie or a trip to the West Coast, something like that. Yeah. So we're now trying to recontextualize how we how we market to our customers as like, oh, you're in the market for sex toys. No, you're in the market for something fun. You're in the market for something pleasurable, something that you're going to enjoy. And we just kind of fitting in that lifestyle, kind of fitting in there is something that we're starting to really realize we need to do. And I think we can really overcome that challenge because we're still small. We can still move kind of quick to where you know if we had to sit there for six months and go, oh, hey, we need to turn it around now. Um, we're able to do that. Pretty quick. That's cool. You guys up for a couple of questions? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. If you can think of the worst impulse purchase you have made online, what would you say that is? Wine for my cat. Wine for your cat? Yeah, yeah I bought cat wine. <laughs> she hated it, by the way. <laughs> what did you think of it? <laughs> I didn't taste it. It's it's beet juice and catnip. I'm not gonna taste that. <laughs> I've got real wine. <laughs> That's a good answer. Mine's not, I'm not gonna beat that. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Pass. It's a hot dog a sandwich. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. No. It's yeah. a hot dog. How is this a thing? I listen to the <laughs> podcast, and, I, and I, I, it's a common question you ask. But how did that get started? Oh, so I had um, Matt Suter from the Durham Bulls on, mm-hmm. so I was asking him like baseball type questions. A hot dogs, obviously a baseball staple, and it just kind of took off a life its own. Why would you say no? Why would you say yes? Why would you say yes? I'm, I want. I want to know why. Who thinks that a hot dog is a sandwich? Well, a lot of people do, but then there's also. Is it a regional thing? Like no, but there's there's also this offshoot of saying it's more of like a wrap or a pita type because it's no, no. I'm, I'm offended now. I mean, it's 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 something on a bun, but then you get to delineations of well, the, it's one piece of bun versus two, but is a sub a sandwich? Like if you get a sub, like a hoagie or something, yeah. sometimes you get. It's one piece of bread cut just like a hot dog. It's just a different type of meat in there, but that's considered a sandwich. So why is a hot dog not a sandwich? 
I mean, because it's a hot dog. I don't know how to explain it's it. It's just not. It's inside. It's, 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 it's cylinder. Something you can get at a gas station. It's, so, no. You can get sandwiches at a gas station. So, not that you might yeah. not. Yeah, want I'm, not a, I'm not I'm a not gas station a gas connoisseur. Gas station. Yeah. <laughs> I, was in, uh, I was in Charlotte visiting some friends a few weeks ago. And, you know, we're having a couple of pops and talking about this. And, we, you know, the phones are coming out and everything. And I think at the end of the day, we realized if anything is sitting on something else, it's a sandwich. So like pizza is an open face sandwich in some respects, right? <laughs> See, I, I feel like you're stretching there. I feel like that's. A, I mean, I get it. I understand. Well, you're, not wrong. You're, not, you're not technically wrong, but you just feel wrong. <laughs> it just feels wrong. That's that's a fair that's a fair point. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. Yeah. I. I how is why is that why is that debatable? We we'll just go ahead and put this out there. Me and Nate have very similar tastes in movies. We we just love trashy terrible movies like I'm, I'm gonna come out and say this showgirls is like my all-time favorite movie just because how terrible it is so we love like weird action yeah well i'll watch die hard over a christmas carol any day or i'll watch something just something with bruce willis or expendables or something like that over anything that's like i'll watch pretty much anything over a christmas carol yeah, yeah. i mean but like uh, what's another like i don't know like, like i have a tv in my office and i've always got just movies in the background and it's okay. always something just terrible from the 80s it's like stallone and cobra it's schwarzenegger and raw deal and he you know he'll wander in here oh i haven't seen this one yet what's this about and you know he'll go home and watch it and then we'll just we'll talk about it because that's you know it's it's enjoyable it's entertainment we have yeah we have a very similar taste in movies that's kind of different from everybody else one of the big things so we went to uh the uh, bronto spotlight in la last year it was around halloween and as a treat me and him like it was the the biggest thing that i it's one of my favorite things i've ever done i want to go to the chinese theater i was like i don't care what they're showing i want to go to the chinese theater and see a movie there because i just always wanted to go there luckily for us they were showing like the newest saw movie and we both were like yay gross super stoked so (laughs) it was like our big treat when we went out there all right how about guilty pleasures i mean uh i I have no shame. You know, here at the Bronto office, there's the, the wrestling. I'm a pro wrestling fan. It's something I never grew out of. I know people are like, oh, why would you tell people that? But it's just so fun for me. Like I said, I, I'm pretty upfront and honest with what I like. I like what I like. I know it's not what everybody else likes, but, you know, that's what I'm into. Okay, and full disclosure for those that don't know, we have an entire wing of the offices here that are named and decorated after pro wrestlers most of whom are dropping dead on a weekly basis. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I already outed my uh, my guilty pleasures. It's tra- it's like trashy. Hat wine and uh, trashy movies. It's like it's trashy movies. <laughs> like I mean, it, it's not really a guilty habit. Like, sorry, a guilty pleasure. It's more like a habit, but I'm a, I'm a huge gamer. I love, like, I have Nintendo tattoos all over my all okay. over my body. So that's like a big thing, I'm a huge Mario Zelda fan. So like if you come to my house or my apartment, I've got like, figurines and posters and all the game systems everywhere so it is kind of i guess you call it a guilty pleasure or something you know unusual but it's to me it's more like a hobby it is something that sometimes when i say people are like really and i'm like yeah do you still have an original nintendo it's in my dad's uh attic and i think it got melted but i have the little like mini one they came out okay. with a few years ago is it good yeah it's a decorative now <laughs> i've got a i've got too many other things to play and like okay. <laughs> time sucks you know all right what's in your pockets right now uh, for me, it's my money clip, my cinnamon flavored toothpicks, my handkerchief uh, that has the, my wife is Welsh, so it's got the Wales flag on it, okay. and um, my wallet. If we were in Georgia, I'd have my pocket knife and uh, lighter and cigar cutter, but we're not. <laughs> cinnamon flavored toothpicks. toothpicks. Yes, sir. 
how, how'd you get in the toothpick chewing? The uh, Stallone thing, or obviously that doesn't hurt. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, growing up in the South, uh, toothpick okay. was just something I've always had, and it's something that you know it's not like a bad habit. I know when to take it out, but uh, just you know, you get tired of chewing on wood, so they introduced you know mint flavors and cinnamon flavors. You know, a little breath freshener doesn't hurt. There you but, go. Uh, you know, nice little treat. Some money clip and a wallet. Yes. How'd that get going? Uh, just. I, I've always, I, I'm like one of the last people that carry cash. I have to have cash in hand because I was always taught, you know, what if you lose your wallet, you got to get home. Yeah, money clip. I'm a little, again, like I said, I'm a little, I like what I like. So everything I have is not like branded, but, you know, I've got the the wallet from Pulp Fiction. That's what okay. it says. It's got the BMF on it. Yeah. Um, my money clip is from Scarface. It says okay. uh, the world is yours. So it's just look fun little things to, you know, little personal touch. I don't have a wallet or a money clip. I yeah, just I carry my stuff. Can't. No man, I can't do that. <laughs> I try to do like the Apple Pay and the Samsung Pay and and all that stuff, and it just it's lost on me. Well, I like the Apple Pay. Yeah, it's convenient. Like you know, when I'm grabbing a coffee, but you know, if I'm if I'm buying a meal or something, I I, I like to pull out my cash and count it out and put it there. Cool. How about you? Uh, What's in your pocket? Well, I'm not really that excited. I got my phone, obviously, but uh, the only I have a Pikachu wallet. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> I've had this for like three years, and every time I like go grocery shopping, I whip it out, and someone's like, I just feel like I out myself like a, as a man child every time I pay for something. <laughs> it's a conversation <laughs> Yeah, sure. Some people are like, what is that? And I'm like, or other people are like, I love your wallet. So it's, it goes one of two ways. We both have unique wallets. We do. Maybe yeah. it should be a Fort Trough requirement that you have. But you have a, a very, you have a wallet. Conversational Yeah, you wallet. have a conversational wallet that's reflective of your personality, which Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies. So when I saw, when I came in with my inter- my interview to get this job and Nate was on interviewing me, I saw his wallet. And I was like, we're going to be friends. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get along. So I wasn't going to ask you this, but I think you guys would be a good group for this. Is Party in the USA a good song? Yes. Yeah, it should be like... There, we, there's a joke with me and my friends that we're like, and this is probably going to irk people. I'm like, you know, if we ever decide that we need a new national anthem for some reason, like it should be Party in the USA. <laughs> the only reason it's not a good song, and I only know this because my wife's British, is it was done by Jessie J. It was her song before it was a Miley Cyrus song. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. She's a Brit pop. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, she's, a pop, yeah, yeah, she's a pop star from Britain. I and she, it, was her, it was her song. It's just nowhere near as catchy. But the Miley Cyrus version, absolutely. Yeah. I travel to LA a lot, so every time I go to LA, <laughs> I put that song on. Awesome. So we'll have info in the show description on how to contact either you guys if you want to give that information out or at least the website, so fortrough.com. If someone does want to reach out, what's the best way for them to get a hold of, of you? And we'll start with you, uh, Nate. Uh, probably be my Twitter handle, and it's definitely a uh, you know not safe for work, and it's not a work okay. handle, but it's xnastyxnatex. Okay. I'm in the same boat as you, actually. Yeah. So I, I recently, so I recently, um, and you don't have to give personal. No, it's fine. I, I'm, I'd be happy for more Instagram followers. Uh, it will get me back on there. But I, I currently don't have a Twitter. I, I deleted my Twitter a few, a few months. Because you got in a fight with Cher. I did. I got in a fight. I <laughs> Cher. I, when I was uh, 21, 22 years old, I was. I, I used to be like the most annoying little brat on Twitter, and that's why I deleted it because I'm, I'm looking back at what I did like 10 years ago, and I'm like, uh, I don't want this on the internet no more. <laughs> but one time I, I was. Cher, I love Cher. Cher's one of my favorite people on the planet. And she was up late, like, tweeting something that kind of sounded like nonsense. And I said something kind of snippy to her. And she tweeted back an ex- I'm not going to repeat what she said to me, but she tweeted back several explicitives at, at, directly at me. It's like my one of my greatest accomplishments. If I could get that tweet framed by Cher calling me like a horrible name. I, would. I was just going to ask, did you screenshot? That? I did. I screenshot it. And it's it's literally one of my crowning achievements in life is getting cussed out by Cher. There you go. If you want to go to my Instagram, it's a. Uh, it's classy at Kyle, <laughs> one word. 
All right. But if you want to contact us more on a business, we'll put our email addresses in the in the descriptions and you can kind of reach out to us that way. You can also, there's a customer service phone number on our website, which if you do go to, please be advised. It is rather adult. It's very, it's, it's explicit, but there is a customer service number on that you can use to reach us. Just say, Hey, we're, we want to talk to Nate or text Kyle. We would love to hear from you. We would love to talk one-on-one with people both inside and outside our industry. We find we find this world fascinating. And that's fortroff.com. So F-O-R-T-T-R-O-F-F. Yes. That is correct. It Not is. the traditional spelling. It's a palindrome with an extra F on it. Awesome. So Kyle and Nate, thanks for your time. To those listening, especially our listener of the week, James from Toledo. You want to be a listener of the week, let me know you're tuned in. And if you're interested in telling your e-commerce or email marketing story, I'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, have a great day and be kind of one another. Bye.